Um, we often try and start the new year with something visionary and inspiring. Um, I don't get easily enthused, quite frankly, by inspiring messages. And when I worked in business, I was one of the finance and IT guys who would be sat over at the back when the latest vision statement was still neon lights, dry ice and queen singing, we are the champions. <laughs> and we would all be sat there grumbling, it's not going to happen and we'll get the blame. Um, and usually both of those prophetic words came true. I do, however, have a sense that the Holy Spirit does have something for us this year, um, and I will attempt to articulate what's on my heart this morning. If you want a one-sentence summary, it would be this. Our future as a church lies not in the leaders having a greater anointing, although we could do with it, but in each of us, especially when it comes to boilers and projectors, but in each of us in the church, finding our place of function in the body. I'll develop that thought a little bit later, but we'll start by anchoring it in a passage of scripture, which um, I would have put a PowerPoint up if everything was working, but it's good to have old-fashioned Bibles sometimes, or electronic Bibles. So if you've got a Bible, if you turn to Romans 12 with me, please, I'm going to read the, the whole chapter, verses 1 to 21. Sorry, it's not the whole chapter. It is the whole chapter, verses 1 to 21. So this is Paul writing, and he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. Heating's come on. If it's giving, then give, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Now, those of you who know me well know that nothing's more likely to annoy me than the old favourite when a house group leader can't think of what to do next week and they decide we'll all bring our favourite verse. All scripture is God-breathed, from the order of the tribes in Exodus to the holiness code in Leviticus to the genealogies in Matthew and Luke to the controversial passages in Paul where we can't quite agree on what he meant. So to have a favourite, to me, is like giving God marks out of ten for bits of scripture. The whole thing is God-breathed. But if you were to ask me which, what's the passage of scripture that's had the greatest impact on my own life, I think I'd probably have to answer that it's the one we've just read. It's impacted me in different ways, at different times, over the past 40 or so years, and I think it gives us a context in which we are to consider how our gifts are to be used. But let's not get ahead of ourselves, because it starts with the word, therefore. And when you see the word, therefore, in Scripture, what do you have to do? Look back and see what it's there for. Okay? It's always referring backwards. Now, the letter to the Romans, in my view, and that it is a view that's open to dispute, is not a theological treatise on how we're saved and made righteous, as many people paint it. It is actually a letter to a church in which Jewish and Gentile believers are experiencing some tension. And Paul is seeking in the letter to the Romans to deal with that tension. I won't go into the whole background, but... So the previous chapter has talked about how a currently godless Israel will be saved as a result, or not directly as a result, but through the obedience of Gentile believers to God. So chapter 12 then begins with an exhortation to us to offer both our bodies and our minds to God as living sacrifices in contrast to disobedient Israel in the previous chapters. Offering our bodies to God, Paul says, is our spiritual act of worship, probably in contrast to the state of Israel at that time. But wait a moment. Isn't our spiritual act of worship to sing Matt Redman and um, Stuart Townsend songs? It's not. True worship is offering ourselves to God all day, every day, for his use. Actually, no, I won't get into that. I was going to lapse into some Greek there. We won't do it. We could talk about all of that that all morning, but we won't, because that's not the main thing I'm trying to cover this morning. Verse 2 then goes on to say that we should no longer be conformed to this world's pattern, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. If we do that, Paul says, we will be able to test and prove or approve what's God's will, his holy, acceptable and perfect will. 
God's will, folks, is acceptable. Um, we often think that when we're faced with two choices, the one that's God's will must be the less acceptable one. Actually, when we submit our minds to God, his will is wholly acceptable and perfect. So I don't mean to chop like that. Um, Again, we don't have much time to go into this more deeply today, although I'd love to on another occasion, but I will just make the following points. Each generation faces its own challenges in breaking out of the mould of how the world thinks. And this passage is telling us not to be conformed to the way the world thinks, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Earlier generations of Christians failed to recognise the way in which they were being suckered into going along with slavery as God's will. They were conformed to the pattern of this world's thinking, squeezed into its mould. Praise God, it was largely evangelical Christians, led by William Wilberforce and others, who actually said, no, actually, this is not what God wants, and fought a lengthy battle to deal with that. They were the ones whose minds had been transformed. A more, slightly more controversially, a more recent generation of Christians, I would argue, went along with oppressive imperialism, kidding themselves it was God's blessing on our nation. And that one is really coming home to roost nowadays. They were conformed to this world's pattern. We're currently being drawn into ideas of the use of technology, sexuality and family that drag us away from a biblical worldview. Now, I'm not saying technology's wrong. I wrote a three and a half thousand word um, paper on it when I was studying. But how we use it and being, our being squeezed into using it the way the world does is a major issue and will become a more major issue for the next generation. We've had quite an example this morning, actually, of how technology has changed the way we behave. Um, None of us could remember, well, very few of us could remember the words to any of those songs, could we? Because we're so used to having them electronically projected in front of us that we've forgotten how to do it. I, when I first started work, I worked for a company that had 69 shops. Um, I worked eventually in the head office, and I was able, on a rotary dial phone in those days, I could remember the phone number. I could phone any one of those shops without looking up the directory. And that wasn't because I'd sat there and memorised them. It was simply because we had better memories in those days because we didn't rely on technology to have our memory for us. So actually, technology is changing the way we behave. I'm not saying it's bad or it's good, but we have to recognise that it's changing it and we have to test it against what is right. And if we don't believe it to be right, we need to to take action. So, Paul's saying, I'm not not trying to preach on this this bit of the passage either. So, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We are called not to be sucked into thinking like everybody else. And how does this happen? By the renewing of our minds. The charismatic church tradition struggles with the place of the mind in our discipleship, frequently dismissing it as an irrelevance. I'm very fortunate in that the pastor who baptised me sat me down the week before I got baptised and he said, Greg, if you ever go to a church that tells you to unscrew your head before you come in, turn right round and leave and never go back. 
God's given you a mind and he wants you to use it. I am immensely grateful for that advice. It's got me out of trouble more than once. I've been told off occasionally for thinking too much, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And if we switch our minds off, we won't be transformed. God wants your mind and my mind. He wants it submitted to him, but he wants, him to, wants it to serve him fruitfully. I know that God did something in my mind, uh, and with my mind, when I became a Christian, and that's how he transformed me and has continued to transform me over the years. That's why I want to do unchristian things to preachers who stand up and say, this is about the heart, not the head. Transformation comes through the renewing of the mind. And in Hebrew thinking, the heart and the mind were the same thing. The word is levav. Splitting them is to abuse scripture. And separating out the mind is a Greek, Greek innovation. Actually, in the Old Testament, when it says, you shall serve the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. It doesn't say soul either, I don't think. I think it says heart, something, and strength. In the New Testament, because Greek doesn't have the same word, word way of thinking, Jesus adds the word mind. So, splitting the mind and the heart apart is wrong. But none of that is the main thing I want to talk about this morning. Paul goes on to tell us that just as each of us has a body with many members, we've got arms, we've got fingers, we've got toes, um, we've got a whole load of members that don't all have the same function, so also the church is a body. And we, all of us, are the members. And we don't all have the same function. He tells us that we are each to use our God-given gifts to the full, whatever they may be. If prophesying, he says, in proportion to our faith. I think that's quite important, actually, but that's a whole separate thing we could spend a morning on as well. If serving, in our serving. If teaching, in our teaching. If encouraging, by encouraging. If giving, generously. If leading, diligently. And if showing mercy, cheerfully. And if that's the case, it's actually quite important that you and I understand what our place in the body is. If we don't, the body will be dysfunctional and only operate with difficulty. In the context of of giving in this passage, I'm sorry, my words have just crashed. The context of giving in this, sorry, the word giving in this passage has, um, the technology is letting us down on every front today. Look, I've never had that happen before. Um, Let's come back. Some of you prefer it when I ad lib anyway, don't you? Um, Excuse me, it's disappeared again. I'm just going to get it on here. So one of the things the world tells us is that we find fulfilment by having our gifts recognised and finding a place where we can use them. Paul is saying that we use our gifts in submission to God 
and for the sake of his kingdom and the body, not for our own fulfilment. I don't stand up here and preach for my own fulfilment. Um, We have to seek to use the gifts that God has given us in his service. And actually, your gifts and mine will only build up the church when we've done the first bit that this passage talks about. Submitted ourselves, body and mind, to God. Those of you who were around at the time will remember that we spent some time a year or so ago uh, thinking about developing our vision as a church. And one of the things we asked ourselves was, what needs to change if we're to grow beyond 100 people? Do you remember that, those who were here? I'm glad you remember it so clearly. Um, we've begun to do that. Um, and one of the things that needed to happen was that we needed to multiply leadership and gifting, and to remove the expectation that I had to be involved in everything. Um, We've begun to do that, and it's, interestingly, there are significantly more people here on Sunday since we started down that road. We still need to do more to develop gifting, so that more people can be encouraged, more people taught, more people served, more people prophesied to, and so on. And in my conclusion, I'll talk a bit more about how we're proposing to do that. But first of all, I want to tell you something of my own story, and this will be somewhat personal, which will also explain to you something of my approach in all of this. When Sue and I were first married, nearly 38 years ago now, there were, we were in a church which had a significant number of high, immensely gifted, extrovert, and, I think, pushy young men. Um, We had an overall leader who was very charismatic. He was outgoing. He was alpha male. He was six foot something tall, rugby player, um, who you really didn't argue with. And that was one of the problems in the church, actually, was nobody was prepared to argue with him. But because of that, nobody actually noticed me. um, As I was fairly quiet... I got on with doing what I thought God was calling, had cut me out for. And as time went by, the senior leader moved on. The pushy guys found better opportunities or fell away. Most of them, by the way, now are no longer walking with God. Shocking. Um, When we look purely for immense gifting, we can miss what God's doing. Um, And I carried on much as before. Uh, and I became the church treasurer. Then one day, Barney Coombs rode into town. Some of you will remember Barney Coombs. Well, Hugh remembers him better than I do. Um, He died last year. Um, And at the end of the meeting, I was putting the chairs away, as I did every week. We didn't have a rotor there. I just did it, because in those days, I looked for opportunities to serve. And somehow, he noticed me. I do not know why. I have not a clue. And he told our church leader that he needed to focus on me for the future. Um, Now, the church went through a crisis. I was the treasurer. And not to put too fine a point on it, takings were bad. Very bad. Um, And the pastor didn't want to preach on giving because he was concerned. He was was a man of tremendous integrity. Unfortunately, he died uh, quite young. 
he didn't want to preach on giving because he could be seen to be benefiting directly from what he was preaching, which I felt was a matter of, was a good point of integrity. So, as the treasurer, guess what? He asked me, as the first thing I ever preached on, to preach on giving. So, my response was that I would prefer to preach on servanthood and pray for the money. Um, which I'd like to think was deeply godly of me, but I was just a bit embarrassed about preaching on giving, really. Um, So I preached on servanthood, which I believe to this day to be a vitally important topic for the church. And I've reacted very strongly to those who say we're not servants. Biblically, we are both servants and sons. Um, And if someone said to me today, preach on any topic you like... I would speak on servanthood again. Anyway, we used to take an offering every week in that church, and every week the pastor and I would pray before church on the Sunday for enough money to come in so that we'd be able to pay his salary at the end of the month. And in the two or three years we went on doing that, we never failed to pay his salary on time, and we never went overdrawn. And that, folks, is how I started preaching. It was because takings were down. Nobody thought of me as a preacher, but because I was the treasurer, they asked me to preach. And eventually, when that pastor, David Barker, moved on to another of our churches, I was appointed, along with another guy, to lead the church while we looked for a permanent pastor. God has his own way of drawing out your gifting. And it might not be the way you'd expect. I never, ever expected to become a preacher. I never actually wanted to become a preacher. But God can draw out our gifting and point it out to us however he wants to. And he will do. Um, Now I tell you all of that because you might feel that the leaders have failed to recognise your gifting. Or even and it's happened to me, that God has given up on your gifting. He hasn't. Now, we're very conscious of the need to mobilise more gifting in the church, and we're working to do that in the coming months. But each of us has a responsibility as well to invest in the gifts. Sorry, to invest the gifts we are able to, to function in here and now. And that's one of the problems with the erosion of the idea of servanthood. It's created a sense of entitlement that is actually deeply ungodly and individualistic. We aren't all called to be preachers. In fact, when I, some of you have heard me say this before, I think, but when I first became a Christian, after I'd prayed the sinner's prayer, I added a codicil or a caveat to it, which was that I would never go to Bible college, I would never preach, and I would never become a pastor. God has a way of mocking our red lines, which is probably something Theresa May could do with bearing in mind at the moment. The other thing that this passage encourages us to do is to have a sober assessment of ourselves. Not to be constantly thinking, I could do better than that. You probably could but to assess ourselves in proportion to the faith that God's given us. Gifting 
isn't all that matters. All of those guys in our previous church were far more gifted than I was and will ever be. Some of them have gone on to accomplish huge things, but at the cost of their walk with God, their families, most cases their marriages, and those gifts are now lost to the church. There are other factors that play into our exercising our gifts well within the church, apart from our spiritual gifting. And one of the problems in the charismatic world has been that we have focused on spiritual gifts to the exclusion of some of these others. The first one is our heart and our passions, the things we really care about. If I don't care about something, I won't necessarily exercise my gifts well in relation to it. Our abilities, the things that we've learnt. I'm told, some people say, that I have a teaching gift, but I'm only actually able to do what I do in the way that I do it because I've spent time sweating over Greek vocabulary cards, studying the whole of Scripture and reading what others have said about it, uh, and spending time and effort working in the text. It's no use relying simply on your gift. We have to invest in that gift and develop that gift. We need to add training and practice to our gifts for them to be fruitful. Our personalities. I am a marked introvert. God made me that way. Um, And to behave otherwise would be to try to be someone that God didn't make me to be. When I have spoken in church on a Sunday morning... It actually completely exhausts me and I normally have to lie down for sleep in the afternoon. Um, If I'm in a room full of people, I am completely drained by it. Now, I love being in rooms full of people and I love people. Please don't mishear me. But I have to understand that the, the way God made me, I need to manage myself so that I can be fruitful in that. This one switched itself off now, just a moment. Our experience. Our experience shapes us for what God has made for us or what God has for us. The most difficult and tragic of experiences fit us to be fruitful for God in ways we simply cannot imagine at the time and may even never become clear in this life. I know that the difficult experiences in my life have been the ones that have shaped me and fitted me to be the person I am today and to be fruitful in the areas that I am am sometimes fruitful in. And our character is the final one. If we have gifts without character, we'll blow up at some point. But if we have character without gifts, we will be very dull, and everything will be really hard work when we try to, to do things. I know I have no gift at all for children's work. Um, And in one point in the church, we couldn't find people to do the children's work. Hugh will remember this. So we agreed that each of the leaders um, would go in a week at a time to take the children's work. It wasn't a blessing for the children, and it wasn't a blessing for the leaders. I would go into... It was the most... For me, doing children's work is immensely stressful. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to talk to... I do know how to talk to children, but... um, I would be far more scared of going in to talk about children's work 
than I would be about going into a debate about um, justification in Paul or something like that or standing up in front of a room full of adults or teenagers for that matter. I just have zero gifting for doing children's work and I have to accept that. Uh, we used to have a guy in our previous church who, uh, again in our previous church, I'd been put in to do Sunday school because there was nobody else to do it um, and I think they guilt-tripped parents into doing it there. If your children are in the Sunday school, you really ought to, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I ended up doing Sunday school, and I got immensely stressed. Every Saturday evening I was doing it, couldn't work out what to do. And also the person in charge of it had so much gifting that she said, well, we won't bother using any syllabus. We'll just be creative and do it ourselves. I died a thousand deaths every Saturday night. Um, it was hard work because I had no gift for it. Although I had the desire, I mean, actually I think it probably made me a slightly better preacher in the end, but um, I had no gift for it. And because I had no gift, um, it became difficult. And Paul then closes with this phrase, or these, two, these three, four verses, 9 to 13. He says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's interesting that Paul's discussion of the use of gifts is completed here by this statement that talks about love, honour, spiritual zeal, joy, patience and faithfulness. And also when you take them in the round, they are intended to be used in community, not simply for our own benefit. God's gifts are intended not just for us, but they are intended to be used to build up his body, to build and to establish his kingdom. And again, one of the, I can remember coming out of a meeting about 40 years ago now, um, where someone came out and said, do you know I've exercised three of the, however many, spiritual gifts this week? And I thought, bully for you. Um, actually, unless we exercise our gifts and use our gifts to bless and build up and encourage and what have you, others, they will not ever bear fruit. And the purpose of the gifts is to bear fruit. So, we as a church need to see more people mobilised and released to function in their place in the body. This isn't just about recognising gift, but it's about personality, experience, abilities, passion and character. We're going to be running the SHAPE course shortly as a way of helping ourselves to understand something of what God has, or how God has gifted us and what sort of people he has made us to be and where he'd have us function. And that course won't look just at our gifts but will look at our personalities, our abilities, experiences and passions. We'll also be praying for one another in that for God to release what he's set within us. And I'm also hoping that out of it we will be able to connect up some people with similar passions so that they will be released together into what God has for them. 
Because I have a very strong conviction that the gifts are for the community, not for the individual. But what really lies behind it is a desire to see the whole body functioning well and for each person's gift to be released to enable the whole body to fulfil its calling in God and to grow. That's what gifts are really about. Um, so you notice I have picked, there, there are several gifts, lists of gifts in the New Testament, and by the way, I don't believe that any of them are necessarily exhaustive. Um, I've seen people try to draw matrices and work out what are the, what's the real definitive list of gifts. I think there are all sorts of gifts, actually. Um, but the, the one thing I would ask you, and, and the reason I put some of my own story in there today, is don't rule yourself out. I ruled myself out for many years of all sorts of things. Um, in my case, I'm fortunate that God was gracious <laughs> um, and sent Barney Coombs along that Sunday um, to make sure that they were released. We don't want to be a bottleneck to people using and developing their gifts. And what we really want to see happen in the coming months is for gifting to be released in this body here, for each of us to be growing in what God has for us and to be functioning in the way he designed us. I, I hope they won't mind me picking up on this. Sorry, I should have asked you beforehand. I, I went to another church last weekend and I took Phil and Jan with me. And to see the way they moved among the people in that church was extraordinary. Um, they loved them, they ministered to them, they cared for them, and they blessed them in a way that was quite fantastic. Um, and suddenly, this couple that I hardly knew, I recognised there is a gifting there, and to see it functioning in a different context was really quite wonderful, actually. Um, sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you, but... We have all sorts of that going on. Um, some of us have told ourselves that all God will ever have for us is putting the chairs out. Um, it might be or it might not be. Churches don't function without people to put the chairs out. Um, and actually, in some ways, I'd like to go back to the world we used to have where we didn't have a rotor and everybody just put the chairs out every Sunday. Um, but that then means that those who get there first are the ones who do all the work rather than those who are on the rotor. Anyway, that's whole, I'm, I'm driveling now. Uh, and I'm departing radically from what I was trying, the point I was trying to make, which is never a good thing either. So, our heart, our concern and our passion here is that we are all released to be the people God calls us to be. Yes, so that part of it is so that we will find fulfilment in God and our place in the body. But beyond that is that actually those gifts need to be released into the service of God and the, and the growing and the building up of his body and his kingdom. That's what they're there for, and that's what we want to see them doing. We will make mistakes. Um, it was lovely. I talked about multiplying leadership and gifting. It was lovely to see Diane leading this morning. Um, and when I think back a few years, I don't think you'd have been that keen to do that, would you, Diane? Um, so it is great to see the way that God has been at work in people's lives already. Uh, and we just want to put a bit of fertilizer on that. Um, and to make sure that we water it and nourish it so that it will continue to happen and happen on a larger scale as well. So would you like me to pray and then hand back to you? Let's pray.
Father, as we stand here, stand or sit here this morning, each of us has been made to fill a place in your body. Lord, we don't want to be eyes that want to be a hand or hands that want to be a mouth. But we want to be the men and women you made us to be. We don't want to fight against who you made us to be. You made each of us in your own image. Each of us reflects something unique about you. And I want to pray that you will help us as your body, your people here, to recognise those gifts, to recognise those gifts in one another and to encourage and build up those gifts in one another in the coming months. Lord, we don't put our faith in a course. Uh, Father, my own experience is testimony to, to that. But we put our faith in the God who calls. Lord, further on it says that your gifts, or before that, sorry, it says your gifts and calling in, con- in connection with people of Israel are irrevocable. And Lord, we, we want to be faithful in discharging, developing and using those gifts that you've placed within us and within this body. Lord, will you help us in these coming months? Will you make us very sensitive to one another and to the gifts that emerge? And will you help us to be people who encourage rather than quash those gifts, we pray. Amen.